Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Movie Maniacs podcast. And joining us, returning Patrick O'Segan to uh, cap off the year of uh, 2022 and lead into 2023. Patrick, how are you doing? And uh, thank you for coming back on the show. Hey, guys. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. We're he- So we're here to discuss something that I've wanted to discuss for a really long time. And then when... Uh, we kind of were planning on what to do. Uh, this is something that you're also interested in discussing as well. So I'm really glad yeah. that we're, we're getting the chance to talk about this stu- this uh, particular subject and something that is very much still feels very different from anything going on in movies today. A whole different really type of conversation circulates around, uh, you know, David Lynch, who directed the show uh, Twin Peaks and Firewalk with me. And we're going to d- talk a little bit about the show. And then we're going to talk uh, mainly about the movie Firewalk With Me. And to start the show off, uh, Patrick, getting into the, the show uh, right off the bat, David mm-hmm. Lynch, uh, who I've said since I watched uh, The Return a couple years ago and watched Twin Peaks mm-hmm. and all that stuff and, and Eraserhead and really dived into this world oh, that yeah. is just so different than anything else I've ever seen personally, at least, especially at that time, you start to see different like things that may be similar to Lynch, but nothing ever really comes close to that distinct style, even all these years later. And it just exposed me to this completely different, like almost a different way of looking at movies where it's not even really about how much the story makes sense, how much like the characters are black and white. It's really about the experience and how it ultimately leaves you feeling when all is said and done. And I mentioned on the show earlier that I had, you know, gone through uh, Lost Highway, uh, Blue Velvet, Mulholland Drive, Firewalk With Me, which I saw a month ago and, and revisited for this episode. And that even brought me deeper into the spiral because Twin Peaks is really just the surface. And once you watch like Blue Velvet and Mulholland Drive, which like oh, yeah. just it, Mulholland Drive was just about as confusing to me as The Return was when I watched it the first time. And I walked <laughs> back through the, I watched The Return like twice this year. It's something I go back to all the time. And, and since then, I've really called him perhaps my favorite director. So I'm, I'm asking you, Patrick, what are your thoughts on him? What films of his have you seen? And, and you're just your thoughts on him overall as a director. Yeah, dude, David Lynch is so cool. Love David Lynch. Everything he's done pretty much that I've seen. Um, I, I have not seen all of his movies. I haven't seen um, Wild at Heart mm-hmm. or Inland Empire. Yeah, those are the two I haven't seen. Yeah, and so like of, of his like uh, his feature films, those are the two I haven't seen. And so, yeah, I think we're on the same page there. I, I, ha- I have a weird relationship with Twin Peaks, the show. I haven't finished the second season still, right. but I've seen the pilot like maybe a dozen times. Yeah. And uh, Fire Walk With Me, I've been watching a lot in the, the past year. I've probably seen it six or seven times now. Wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't want to like give away my thoughts about this too much, but I would say it's definitely my favorite uh, Lynch project that he's done. Um yeah, and I and I have a weird I I'm yeah I I'm not like um like uh like <laughs> super enthusiastic about Mulholland Drive all the time mm-hmm. um or at least like as enthusiastic as a lot of people and um I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer at all 
when we're, when we're discussing David Lynch because I think he's awesome and mm-hmm. brilliant, but uh, it's just not not one of my favorites of his, even though it's amazing, amazing. Yeah, yeah there's no denying, like, with Mulholland Drive, like, talking about that one, that was one that, like, I had heard going in, like, it's, like, the the cult, like, greatest movie of all time, and it had all right, these yeah. different titles over it. I'd heard about it a lot, and, you know, watching The Return, seeing Naomi Watts, and that was originally mm-hmm. where her uh, relationship with David Lynch started, all that stuff. So there were a lot of expectations I had for that one. And you can't really go into any David Lynch project with a lot of expectations because quickly you'll figure out <laughs> something entirely different. And I was, I'm also kind of with you in that I, I really liked it. And I was like amazed by, by certain aspects of the movie, but it was also just left like completely like bewildered and kind of like thinking like that was such a... You, I kind of like prefer even like Blue Velvet almost over Mulholland Drive in a way. And that, that to me, that was when the first movie I watched when I kind of binged through a couple Lynch films uh, last month and watching Blue Velvet was like insane. Like I was watching it, like, I think it was like seven. It was dark. And like, I had like had no popcorn, nothing to eat. I just had my bottle of water and I'm sitting back. I put in the, the movie for Blue Velvet and it just like, I was completely like, blown away by that movie probably more than i was mulholland drive and there's a lot of similarities i think between blue velvet and twin peaks in a way because both of those movies are um kind of almost admiring but also uh critics not almost dissecting the uh love for americana that you can find it or, or the simple town that you can find in both blue velvet and in Twin Peaks. And one of the things that I definitely think both of those projects share is that when, you know, if you remember the opening of Blue Velvet, it's this beautiful scenery. And then you start to go underneath and there's those ants underneath and there's that darkness hidden. And while that isn't quite as explicit in Twin Peaks, it's still very much a, a strong theme of that movie be, or that show because it's all about that, sim- that simplistic town that's as uh, our characters start to go through it more and more we start to see the kind of the evil underlying underneath yeah and fire walk with me is where you really see the evil that yeah. is really only alluded to in the show twin peaks um, yeah i agree one of the things about watching the pilot which we're, we're, we're going to discuss is i completely forgot there's no red room in the pilot <laughs> and i actually yeah. remember the first time i watched the show and then i was like because i was like good lord this is incredible i get why patrick's telling me to watch this and then i'm watching the second episode and then there's this this uh, small guy dancing around talking backwards i'm like i didn't think this was what i signed up for and so at first i was a little confused by that uh by that addition to the show and i had to like like you do with a lot of david lynch projects completely reassess what this show even was because i didn't know we were going to be getting into all this weird uh you know, super, almost supernatural stuff, spiritual stuff that the show really does start to dive into. And it reminded me of that. One of the moments I was like getting a little frustrated with the show at first was when we had the Red Room stuff and Laura whispers in Cooper's ear and he wakes up and he's like, I know who the killer is. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. I go to the next episode and he's with the sheriff and he's like, yeah, I forgot. And I just like threw (laughs) my hands down. I was like, what is going on? But as time has gone on, I'm I'm with you, Patrick. I must have watched this pilot half a dozen times. I don't even have to go watch the rest of the show. It's just so to, it's to me, you know. I, I I love certain television shows. I'm not a big television guy. You know, I like Breaking Bad. I like Better Call Saul and Ozark. 
But other than that, I'm not a big hardcore television fan. Twin Peaks is really the first time I ever got heavily invested in this, in, in a show where I'm listening to the soundtrack and I'm being introduced to this completely new you know, style of directing that is often, I, I think, better than a lot of directing in movies as well. I mean, this this pilot, I think, could be taught at a film school. Just it's, It really is that perfectly directed, in my opinion. And there is so much here to learn from just in these first, you know, 15 minutes of this pilot where you have no connection to these characters, but there's this heavy emotion, this heavy amount of sorrow that, that really does blanket the first 15 or so minutes of this show and just this, this dread that suddenly crosses over this whole town. And the fact that it, that Lynch is able to, to give us all this emotion from the first 15 minutes or so. And I was sitting there like, you know, I even like got my cup of coffee ready for the morning and all that stuff. I'm sitting down on my Celestial Peaks and I'm reminded of that, that sorrow and that emotion that really does come through the show. And even though there are certain aspects of the show that we romanticize and Cooper coffee, all that stuff, there is some heavy emotion that I found the first 15 minutes of this pilot for sure. Yeah. That's one of the magical aspects of the show. I think is like the, the soap opera elements, you know, are almost laughable at first, the, the over the top crying throughout the pilot. It's just like, it's so repetitive and so, um like highly emotive that you just can't help but chuckle the first time you're watching it and then once you really understand what is happening in the story then it's that's when all these overly emotive actors mm -hmm. start to tug at your heartstrings and that's when you start tearing up alongside them and feeling yeah. just as ridiculous as you thought that they were the first time you watched the pilot yeah and that is something special. It really is. And, you know, we just talking about the actors and so forth, like, I think you could look at this cast and look at each of these performances individually and go, I'm not really sure any of these people are great actors. You know, they haven't really got <laughs> to do much else. But the thing about Lynch, and you can you can find this throughout the whole, uh, through all of his films, whether it's Laura Dern, Kyle MacLachlan, Naomi Watts, People who haven't really, I think at least, delivered more than what Lynch set them up to do. Like, I think Kyle McLaughlin and Laura Dern are like mm -hmm. giving these great performances in Twin Peaks, uh, Blue Velvet. You would think, like, oh, we're going to find more of these performances. Laura Dern has certain great performances that I really like, like Marriage Story, I thought she was really good in. But really, I don't think that she is as well utilized as how Lynch uses her here. Same thing with Kyle McLaughlin and the rest of this cast where Lynch really does know how to use each of these actors to their own talents. Even um, James Hurley, who plays, uh, uh, or not uh, the actor who plays him, James, uh, he was in uh, A Few Good Men and he plays kind of that same note, that, that stoicism that people may like kind of poke at and say, maybe that's not a great performance. I think everybody here is expertly utilized and thus I don't have a lot of problems with the acting through the show. In season two, it may be a little bit of a different story because certain other characters are brought in. Um, but really, <laughs> I think that this this first episode in particular really just demonstrate how well Lynch uses this cast. Um, Leo, you know, I'm not really, I'm not, I'm still not really sold on Leo even when he shows up in the, the firewalk with me and so forth. He's not the best actor, but the way all these actors are utilized 
serves this show so well. Yeah, I think I think you're right that they're not doing a whole lot more than Lynch asks of them. I mean, the scenes are so minimal too. Like, there's mm-hmm. not a lot of dialogue in each scene. There's only one or two shots. It, he knows exactly what he wants from every single scene, and that's what he's getting out of the actors. So yeah, they're not really go. They're not really. There's not really a whole lot of improv going on here with the yeah, actors. They yeah. they're sticking to the script for sure. Yeah, and another aspect of the of the show that I think absolutely has to be mentioned is. Like just from the jump, the moment you click play on that episode, you're really introduced to the first character in a way of the entire show. And it's Angelo Badalamenti with his music. You know, the man passed away Mm. last week and returning to this world, hearing this music. And at times when it's paired with Julie Cruz, who has has who's had a few great moments throughout Lynch projects, this music is such a pivotal part in a way of the mood of the show the 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 part of the feeling that you get out of some of these dramatic scenes is really heavily aided by the beautiful music that battlementi put uses here he's been you know he's worked with lynch through blue velvet maholland drive the straight story all those films uh but really i think twin peaks this soundtrack might be his crowning achievement and it really is one of the most important parts of the show in a way I agree. It's a pretty consistent presence in the pilot. And I think it's its absence is sorely felt in like some of the, the weaker episodes later on in the show. There's mm-hmm. not it's not utilized as much as it should be, because here it's like fairly consistent. There's not a whole lot of silence and it, it's low in the background, but it's always there. And it's the it's the spiritual heartbeat of the, the whole show, really. And I think, you, yeah, you're, you're right about that. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And. One of the things that I think is important looking at the show and how it moves along as uh, <laughs> as time goes on is when David Lynch and Mark Frost are writing this, they really had no idea who the killer was. So mm. watching this first episode and like from like if, it, if it's your first viewing and you're trying to figure out who the killer is, is there a certain a certain way that you're leaning towards the way that the pilot like shows itself because ultimately Lynch and Frost were forced to come up with who the killer was when they were getting in season two and like, Hey, we got to wrap this up at some point. And I think that that does kind of cause a few problems for the show when you get to season two and it kind of gets a little bit lost and, and things feel a little bit more muddled, but Lynch said they never really planned on telling who the killer was. If they had, if they had gone down that route, does that work for you? Um, well, I would have to say that I'm way too big of a fire walk with me fan for that right. to be satisfying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like without a killer that there is no fire walk with me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think there's a whole new, there's, there's an entire layer of depth to the show because of the killer, mm-hmm. um, who he is and his relationship to, uh, Laura Palmer. Um, uh, so yeah, no, I, that, that would not work for me. Yeah, I definitely different show. Yeah, I definitely think if you look at the larger picture now with the return and Firewalk with Me, that really doesn't ex- exactly work. Just because you know I'm with you, like Firewalk with Me does not work without knowing who the killer was. And there are some moments in that film that would definitely not have the same effect. Or if, if the film just wouldn't work. The film just wouldn't work if we didn't know who the killer was. And because of who the killer is, it being you know spoiler alert, being Leland it adds this whole it adds this whole other sting 
it, throughout Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, even if we knew who the killer was and if it was like it was if it was Bobby or something like that, there's no way that we would have that that same sting that that almost horrific feeling, you know, kind of wash over you uh, throughout the the Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. So yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't think it would have worked without it. But um, going back to the pilot one one last time before we start to get into uh, Firewalk with me. Um, the direction of the show is obviously great and we the characters and so forth. As you went go through the rest of the show, go through the rest of the series, do you feel what was your opinion on the rest of the show from this point? Um season 1 is great. I mean, there's not really a dull moment. In season 2, obviously like many people have said it before me, but there's a lot of shaky moments and that's mm. why I really haven't been able to get through it because it really starts to become a slog and it's it, 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 if it was any other show I wouldn't really care but since there's like season one is so pitch perfect almost right. all the way through it's like more of a disappointment I can't like solely Twin Peaks but I will one day one day I'll finish season two yeah, yeah. but yeah um, and <laughs> as far as the return goes it's right back to form pitch perfect with David Lynch in full control and yeah, uh, yeah that's another another brilliant show yeah, that's a definitely another conversation for another time. There's a whole, <laughs> whole lot of rabbit holes to go down with that one. And, you know, I've mentioned about that. That's whatever, whatever you want to call it. But like, it, it's one of my favorite things to watch. I've seen it at least four times at this point. And same thing with this pilot. I go back to it a whole lot. It's a one of the things I think Lynch does so well is just that that combination of uh of that that americana would and it's a good hang at the same time like it it feels good being in the world of twin peaks when we have those moments where cooper you know he's got the donuts and the coffee and those moments where you can really just enjoy the the, the beautiful scenery that lynch has and particularly this pilot is all shot on location the show would later on go to sets but this pilot in particular was shot on location and it's and it's beautiful to watch but at the same time like we've talked about before, the way that Lynch is able to uh, mix in those underlying uh, feelings of uh, something's off, something's wrong here, uh, I think is part of what makes the show uh, as well made as it is. And going to Firewalk with me, um, which I have only seen recently as somebody who's watched the both seasons of Twin Peaks and then watched The Return, it was definitely long overdue that I give this one a watch. Um, what were your ex? What was your expectations first viewing going in to see this movie? Okay, so I saw Fire Walk with Me kind of as like a precursor to the Return because I'd right. never seen it. My friend showed me Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me and the Return in pretty much twenty four hours. Um, <laughs> so that was an overwhelming day to say the yeah. least. And I think I didn't really have a lot of time to process fire walk with me before going into the return and then the return just kind of replaced it as it as <laughs> in my mind yeah. and i could only think about the return after that but then revisiting fire walk with me on my own i realized that i love it very dearly and that mm -hmm. it i think it captures everything that the show does and goes so much further with it like twin piece and the return it captures everything that they do and goes a step further and that's why i've revisited the most out of mm -hmm. out of the three and it's also like so concise and it's so like perfect that it's yeah like 
not a whole season of a show. It's just two hours, give or take, right. of Twin Peaks, like in its essence, at the core. Like I think everything else, it just kind of like sprawls outwards from this core, mm -hmm. uh, if that makes sense. And I'm not really getting into specifics here because we're about to, you know, right. go through the whole thing. But yeah, I I love this movie. I kind of forgot what your question was. No, 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 that's good. That's good. <laughs> no, you're, you know, good. yeah. Those, me, yeah, those are my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For for me, I watched the first two seasons of Twin Peaks, and I had heard the return was even better. And at the time, I think I was thirteen. Was it really from what I saw? Was it ready to dive into Firewalk with me quite yet? So I watched the return, and like that was it for me. Like kind of similar with you, I was like, once I saw the return, I was like. Man, I, I almost forgot about Firewalk With Me for a little bit because I do, what's crazy is Firewalk With Me actually has stuff that elevates my view on certain things that The Return does because there are a couple pieces missing in The Return that I kind of had to like look up a little bit like, okay, I'm not really sure what's going on here. So I got to figure out like who this character is, who Harry Dean Stan is and all that stuff when watching The Return. But going back to those Lynch films and watching Blue Velvet, uh, Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me was the last stop on my David Lynch ride um, for November. And watching that movie the first time, I saw it a second time for this uh, for this recording, but it was a complete, it, it felt like you were saying, similar to the uh, Twin Peaks show. And I also saw where this was going to lead into, which is the return. It just felt like even, even looking at all of David Lynch's films, there's something about Firewalk With Me that has almost a completely different feeling to me and it, it's a it's yeah. a really odd uh entry in lynch's filmography in a way because there are just certain parts of this movie that feel so raw and so just i mean powerful in some of the ways that they hit you and the quote-unquote no holds bar here i mean this movie doesn't really it, it doesn't have limitations from the studio or anything on what they can put in it is just this raw i mean with a movie with fire in the middle, it does feel like just it's burning throughout and particularly in some of these Cheryl Lee scenes and the performance that she's giving as Laura Palmer, it really does just feel completely different. And when the movie was over, I was just sitting back. I was like, geez, like what did I just watch? And it was just certain moment that hit you so hard. And man, and going back to the, uh, to the movie, I was really interested in seeing, you know, what I was going to find, what I was going to, pick up on I don't really feel like this is a movie where like like with the return like you're so just confused by like everything you just watched and and like man I gotta go back to this I gotta go back to that like what did all that mean especially like you were saying this is a concise two hours the return is 18 right so there's a there's doesn't feel like there's as much to like like put more pieces of the puzzle together but really just to see how it feels again on a second viewing was something I was just really interested in. And, and starting, like, like we're talking about, this does feel different from Twin Peaks, just in the way that we start though, with that television and that sudden violent crash that we go into with the, with the bottle of minty music and so forth, having a, just a, a slightly different feel to me, at least listening to it than what we got in the, uh, in the show and what we get in the return as well from the soundtrack he gives us there. Something about this feels just wholly different in a way. Yeah, I mean, we can get into like what the breaking of the TV represents, but <laughs> to me, 
the breaking of the TV is David Lynch saying, once again, I'm destroying your television set with yeah. the work that I've done. And you will not be the same after this. So get ready to feel like punching your TV or oh, yeah. turning it off or throwing it out the window because here we go. Yeah, and then it, you know, there's it probably fits into the plot somewhere, but honestly, I have no idea. I don't really pay attention to the plot at all when I'm watching a David Lynch movie. I just don't. I, I don't either. I just forget that it's. I forget that like there are things happening, yeah. Other than just what is happening, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. No, I completely, I completely agree with you. It's, it's so hard to even explain. Like if I'm going on Letterbox, I'm trying to like review a Lynch film. I'm like, I don't even know where to start. Like I could, <laughs> like so many words. Like the the feeling you get watching a Lynch film, or particularly this one, where there is just it. It really is so much about the the impact it leaves you with where it's a really hard one to even put into words here. It's something you just have to, I mean, describe to yourself or, or describe, you know, in completely different terms than you would have to with any other film. And I, and I do agree with you. I, I love it. He's like, TV's over. And I actually went back to the, uh, that, that one little quote of his where he goes like, if you think you can experience a movie to the fullest on a, on your effing iPhone, you've lost your mind or something like that. So <laughs> everything back to, movies and so forth i thought was a, a good way to start us off and one of the things that's interesting just about the opening the first 30 to 40 minutes or so feels in a way just completely different than what we're going to get later on when we get to the cheryl lee character and so forth um so there's right, a lot yeah. of different you know avenues that we could go with we could really you know dissect the chris isaac you know detective character and so forth but it doesn't really seem like that's like the right place to go just kind of talking about this first 40 minutes here it where certain things here are very much twin peaks twin peaks esque and we see cooper we see uh you know lynch is gordon cole and certain aspects from the television show that we like but at the same time we got like david bowie showing up all of a sudden and we get this like madness like this manning couple minutes here uh what were your thoughts just kind of summarizing it overall on the first 40 minutes or so of this movie where we're going through the Chris Isaac stuff and, and David Bowie showing up and that's going to lead to a, this per particular 40 minutes feels like it's going to lead to a lot of different stuff. That's going to be picked up on the return. On a first watch or what do I think of it now? Just what do you think of it now? Okay. Um, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Um, I think, I, I don't know if I have anything really interesting to say about it, but I think maybe one thing that Lynch is trying to do with this kind of weird tonal shift mm -hmm. is he's setting up Agent Cooper without using Agent Cooper too much. Like, yeah, this other agent is kind of a stand-in for the type of person that Agent Cooper is. And I don't know exactly what purpose that serves, but it does kind of like, it, it it makes you think differently about Agent Cooper later on in the show or in the movie, excuse me, uh, specifically towards the final scene. Um, it, it, because in, in the show, he's kind of like, a, you know, he, he's a, a typical, almost like TV detective type, right? Like the, and um, he, he's a, he's got a, a different role in Firewalk with me. Um, 
but I can't. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll return to this in, towards towards the end yeah, of the movie. Yeah. But um, yeah, and I mean the humor is working here. You know, like like always, it's always kind of lingering, even in like the darkest scenes. It's kind of it's which is one of the weird Lynch touches. Yeah. Um. Yeah, lots of terrifying moments. Um, it's just too much. It's too much to get into. Noah, how do we even break this down? <laughs> you're better. You're better at this than I am. You, you go. Well, like, you go. When I think about like that David Bowie scene, it's one of my favorite parts of this movie in a way, where he's like walking in. He's got this <laughs> accent, and then all of a sudden the television's coming back on, and we've got the this dude with this clay nose going on. I'm thinking, what the heck is going on? This is awesome. Like it's it's horrifying to watch, but like, why is this working? Like why is it's it's amazing to me how Lynch is able to just like with the editing, the way everything goes together, the way he's all able to compose it and the music as well, which is not really the score here when we have this chaotic David Bowie scene isn't changing. It's still this like quiet mellow as all this like the dudes and uh, the little man's eating the beans or rubbing the table and stuff <laughs> like what the heck and Bob's just sitting there's a kid with the mask he takes off, there's a monkey. I'm like, what, the, what is going on here? But like David Bowie's coming his accent and talking about the Judy stuff, which really like isn't even explored in this movie, right. which is crazy. None of that's yeah. explored. Lynch talks all about that stuff in The Return. So when I watched this movie, I, you know what I did, Patrick? When I watched this movie the next day, I started tripping The Return oh. again. And I just started. No really, way. I just started watching Trim Beats Start Turn again. I'm like, and I realized like that show was so much more about, you know, Judy than I had really mm. picked up on when, the first yeah. two times I'd even watched the show. Where there's this whole, it's, it's crazy. There's this whole other part of Trim Beats to Return. I see the show three <laughs> times and I'm, now I'm like, there's this whole other like character that I didn't even really give a whole lot of attention to. And now like the Firewalk with me is, just teasing that almost as something to come later on down the line, what I would think of that David Bowie scene without the return in mind, I really don't know because he's just coming in there saying, I'm not going to talk about Judy. And that's never, we don't talk about Judy. Like, the rest of the movie, exactly, yeah. no one's talking about Judy. <laughs> but I love the chaos of the scene, the humor, uh, you're spot on with. There's so many times in Lynch films, like, like even like Lost Highway, where I'm like, I'm cracking up. And so it's just like hilariously like dark stuff happening at times. But at the same time, there's just that Lynch quote unquote charm in a way with the Chris Isaac character coming in, like grabbing the dude's nose to like sit him down or whatever. I was like cracking up with that. The sheriff being a jerk and all that stuff and kind of seeing like, it's almost interesting, like comparing Chris Isaac's like journey into this town. Then uh, the way Cooper introduces Twin or in comes into Twin Peaks where Truman is more than happy, like here you can handle this. I don't know what's going on. What's and but we're here, like the the sheriff's very like apprehensive. He doesn't want to you know come on board with any of that. Like just stay out. I don't care. Um, and so that was interesting as just a little comparison to the treatment Cooper is going to get later on. And I agree with you for the way that character is set up. Where when if I was to watch the pilot again right after Firewalk with me, the way Cooper entered goes into the town. It's almost like there's a completely different mission in mind. They're like it, and even watching the return as well, and the journey Cooper goes on there. It, I mean, it's something that's like goes th through dimensions and time and and all that crazy stuff that goes into the return. But talking about the blue rose stuff and that weird scene with the the girl in the red dress, 
and just like all that dancing and then Gordon putting the hand over his face. I just thought it was hilarious. But it does feel like there's this whole other bigger mission in uh, the world of Twin Peaks that we had never even really thought of with the 90s show. And I really think that that's going to be the split for people when it comes to Firewalk with me and The Return. If you're not on board for this big journey, sprawling dimensions and time and a completely different world than anything we've explored in Twin Peaks thus far, if you just watched those two seasons, if you're not on board for that, Firewalk with me and The Return's not for you because I know there are people who didn't like The Return because of how, you know, just what a different avenue it went down and people who didn't like Firewalk with me for that same reason as well. If you're not on board for that, then this 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 movie and the third season of Twin Peaks, whatever you want to call it, it just isn't for you. But for what we get here and seeing this bigger mission here, I'm intrigued and I'm enjoying the ride, even though Chris Isaac isn't as charming, perhaps, you know, or charismatic as Cooper is. I'm really interested in the avenue that Lynch is taking the series and particularly that David Bowie scene that I, I still really like returning on a second viewing. Yeah, I, I think you made a really good point about the the two sheriff's offices and the difference in reception to the FBI, because watching the pilot in preparation for this episode, uh, there's a you know there's the scene where uh, Cooper stops Truman in the hallway and and makes sure that he's not going to have problems with him like they do, and it, it's there's a a lot of conversations in Twin Peaks that about unpleasantness that they don't show that actually occurs in firewalk with me and that this is the i think the first example of that and there's at least two more yeah <laughs> like specific conversations that you know they could only really hint at in in the show and here we're gonna see it pretty much in one of the i, I agree with you on that and as well with you going back to that comparison and how things are even more fully explained almost or more shown in this movie is just in the nail in how in the pilot like if you thought putting the the tweezers through the nail was bad well they're just gonna they're just gonna like peel the nail back to show you the the letter and that really is a i think a one of the most prime examples almost of the difference between uh twin peaks if you thought that stuff was a little unnerving well, in Firewalk with me, it really does go to, in a way, a whole other level. But kind of trying to put certain piece of the of the puzzle together. Chris Isaac, does he die? Does he die when he puts the when he touches the ring? Is that what, is that what we're meant to believe? Because you've seen it, you've seen it more than I have, and I still there's just a couple parts of this movie that I wasn't quite sure on. Are we meant to believe that he's dead? Um. Well, uh, it depends what you mean by dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think other uh, when other people put the ring on, they do tend to end up dead here. <laughs> um, but they, they never find his body. So I I don't know if he's just in the Black Lodge or he's he's definitely gone. Right. We'll, we'll put it down. <laughs> right. He's gone. No, yeah. My he interpretation. returns later. We don't, we don't know. Yeah, because with the ring... That was a, the ring is one of the aspects of this movie that I just got a little confused on because later on when we get to the to the ending of the movie and so forth, the ring plays a, a, it does something different than what I was expecting 
and we'll get to that a little bit with what exactly the purpose of the ring shows okay. or, or okay. what your interpretation of it of it is to be. But when we get into the, we start to you know transition and we're meant to believe whoever you know killed uh, um, the person Chris Isaac is is investigating here, then that killer is going to strike again. And that's why we transition over to to Cheryl Lee, and. As we're kind of reintroduced to this world and we get, you know, the Twin Peaks music, the whole theme's playing again and so forth. Then we're getting introduced to Cheryl Lee. We're like, in, oh, we're back in Twin Peaks. We're enjoying the imagery. And then Cheryl Lee sniffs a line of cocaine. And then you're like, oh, this may not be exactly what uh, Twin Peaks was or what, you know, everything that it was back in that show. So one of the things that Firewalk with me got criticized for at the time, I don't think it does as now. It, to me, the criticism doesn't make it make any much sense to me, even though I get why it may not be for everybody, is this performance by Cheryl Lee, who I think, quite frankly, is is great in this show and does has or in the movie and does some like great bits of acting in terms of what Lynch wants her to do. If you get what I'm saying, like, I don't know, Cheryl Lee's going to go on That's... and deliver a great performance outside of a Lynch project. But the, the role, like I said earlier, talking about the other cast members, the role she plays here and what, and what Lynch wants her to be is, I mean, she does a phenomenal job of executing what I think Lynch wants us to perceive this character as. Absolutely, dude. This performance is uh, nothing short of incredible. I don't know what would be short of incredible, <laughs> but it's not this. Yeah, I mean... The, the, the feats of emotion that she has to display here, one of, the, one of the moments that really stands out is when is the uh, the bike ride with James later on when she sees Leland walk out of the house and real, puts the pieces of the puzzle together. I mean, it's really a raw emotional performance. And that, as I've said before, that's really what I think a lot of this movie is meant to be, is just this kind of this raw power that Lynch is kind of enforcing down on the audience and just all these emotions at play here uh another actor that i wanted to to mention as we're like kind of being reintroduced to this world is the recasting of donna we got a new actress in here as donna i was a little torn the first time i saw this movie and and i knew that there was going to be a recast so i was kind of anticipating wh what it was going to be in season two i don't think the actress who plays donna does a great job i think that she has some, some pretty bad moments in the first season. I don't really have much of a problem with her. What are your thoughts on this recasting? Is it better? Is it just kind of like the same role or is it worse? I hated Donna in the show and I didn't feel like she was sympathetic at all. I thought her relationship with James was weird and it was just a dumpster fire from start to finish. <laughs> so I was really happy with the recasting here, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, I think this actress, whatever her name may be, I just like to call her Donna personally, because I think she just embodies the role so well that yeah. uh, I, I don't think she even has a name anymore in the real world. I think she's just Donna. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely have softened on the original Donna um, mm -hmm. since since my initial experience with her. But uh, nevertheless, I still am remaining strong in my opinion that this Donna is the superior Donna 
<laughs> my so my opinion on Donna in the show was I think she works really well in season one for what it is because quite frankly I no always, no, I no always, she doesn't it's bad no, it's hear bad me hear me out I always interpreted Donna to never I know if, if David Lynch was trying to make us it like connect with this character as what it is on the surface because to me Donna was always like a little like there's some just a little off about Donna I don't know if it's just because the performance. But when she kisses James yes. in the pilot, you hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> I will let you complete your thought. Sorry. <laughs> but when she kisses James in the pilot, like I kind of the way I interpreted that was as we're meant to think Donna is not really who all that she appears to be in the show. And that may be a wrong reading of it. I'm not sure. But even when mm. um even when she's in the car with her father after she's run away and all that stuff and he goes oh we're so lucky to have a daughter like you donna the way i interpreted that because i felt like lynch was showing something on the surface and then there's more underneath was i interpreted that to be like but that sent a chill down my spine almost in a way when he, when her father says that because the interpretation i was getting of this character wasn't that she is the golden you know the golden standard that i think it, she's supposed to appear to be what i will give this actress credit for in the recast in the recast i thought she was a did a lot better when it comes to her trying attempting to play the bad girl because there's a, i don't know if you've gotten to right. that part in season two but there's a scene in season two where donna like smokes a cigarette and she like she's putting shades on and she's like trying to look like the bad girl. I don't know if you got to that part. Yes, yet, but I is, have seen that horrible, it horrible is disaster. Awful. <laughs> it is incredibly hilarious in how and just how bad it is. Like I couldn't believe. Like, what the heck is going on here? In this, when yeah. Donna does that in this, uh, in this movie, it's a, it's a, it weighs heavy upon you almost. In, in kind of the, the that particular scene, which we're, we're kind of approaching as we start to talk about everything that's going on in this movie, that because that scene in particular, when she's trying to, to play that character, I thought she handled that a lot better than uh, what was done in the show. So that's the main reason I think this recast is good because I have nothing, I, I the one example I have on that actress attempting to play a, a, a bad girl, quote unquote, is what that, is that episode of Trip Beach. And I think that was very good. So I feel like this actress does a lot yeah. better here and for, for the darker tone almost that this movie has than even Twin Peaks does in a way, where there, there's that moment in a way where uh, she and uh, Laura are like on the couch and we we hear her like talk about James and all that stuff. And, and then Laura's like looking at her like, what's going on here? Um, but I feel like that works a lot better at that actress than it probably would have if the 90s, uh, if the TV actress was doing this but but I, I i like both for what they do that, that's all that's all i'll say i'm i'm a little softer on the television donna perhaps as you are but there are certain problems that i found with that performance that i feel like this actress does do better i think even besides the performance like the, this actress just fits the donna role more physically i feel like it's like she's softer she's like more petite more like innocent looking like right off the bat like without even having her open her mouth like she fits what donna is supposed to be more than the original actress does in my opinion no i i do agree with you she portrays that innocence a lot a lot better it, it, it's like right on the surface you can tell like she doesn't really understand 
what lore is kind of a part of that we kind of uncover more and more as we go through the show. One of the things I also wanted to talk to you about, and we'll probably get to that uh, pink room scene in a minute, but um, Laura's relationship with James here, there's just certain things that I think many people can have a different interpretation of when it comes to uh, many aspects of this movie, but particularly this one. When we get to the motor, to the scene of them driving together or riding a motorcycle together and the opening scene that we get of the two of them Overall, what's your interpretation, I guess, of the relationship that these two have? Is it one of just really Laura doesn't have much of a, doesn't really care much about James? I don't really know if I lean that way, though, because of the final line that Laura has to James at the end. But really, Laura is just such a complicated character as we, you know, progress more and more through the movie. And the, the real puzzle that is reviewing this movie is really just trying to figure out exactly for me at least, who Laura is. There's still just a lot of questions that I have when it comes to dissecting this character, but I want to know what your interpretation of all that was. Yeah, I think that one of the, the main motives of Fire Walk With Me is to explore the psychology of the 27 Club. The, the sense of knowing your time is up early and knowing that it's tragic and mm -hmm. not being able to do anything about it or feeling powerless because right. you feel like you can't do anything about it. The, 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 I think the most important thing to understand about Laura in Firewalk With Me is that she knows she's going to die very soon. She doesn't know how she knows, but she does. And it's evident in all her interactions and it's, the way she handles it is specific to each character that she interacts with. Um, but with James, it's the most complicated because I think, the, like you said, the final line is the most telling. She loves you, James. <laughs> <laughs> so like, and that's a complicated thing. So she mm -hmm. does, I think with James, James is the, of all of the people she interacts with, James is the one that she does not know how to handle. Right. Yeah. And I think she plays it very well. Um, I mean, it, it does, you could say it's a little over the top at times because she does have like these extreme mood swings. Um, but I think it's, it, I think it just goes to show how conflicted she is and maybe it's a little on the nose, yeah. but um, I don't really care because I think it works. <laughs> I agree. I think that motorcycle scene really is just a, a, a hit right in the gut, just from the jump, the, that, the, all those interactions, the flipping them off, the slap, the, the riding off, James choosing not to go with the green light and then going when it turns red, <laughs> yeah. which I thought was like, just like a complete like David Lynch move. I thought that was great. But, um, yeah, th those scenes really do tug on you. And it's weird though, because... At the same time, perhaps out of all the characters in this movie, James is the one that I feel like Laura has the least scenes with. Like James is mm -hmm. barely in this film, except for like the beginning. There's a little scene in the middle and then the end. And so I think that that kind of, that, that's a, a, an odd way for Lynch to choose to do this. But the, the punch of that final scene is so effective that it really doesn't make a difference. Like, I don't know what other role James would really play here because that final scene encapsulates the complete 
bewilderness of their relationship and how how weird it is and how many different shades there are. And in a way, you could look at it as James isn't special to Laura at all, and he's really just another just another lane for her to go down on, just another things that she's using, just like all the different aspects of her life in a way. So hmm. I do think that final scene is really good, and we'll talk about that more when we get to the ending. But another another uh, scene that I think we ha just have to mention here is we're kind of beginning to get through this the the dread that Laura's feeling and so forth, and we're, she's seeing the uh, the the lady with the son and then all that stuff, and we get some cool imagery there as well. And also, I I was wondering what you what exactly you thought of those two characters. I really just kind of feel like they're ghosts or, or, or tellers of what's to come and almost a, a warning sign of death that is approaching Laura in the future. I really feel like that's kind of the signs that she's picking up on, like you said earlier, of that feeling of doom of that she's going to meet her end in the future. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I think the, I think the kid in the mask definitely looks a lot like David Lynch. Yes, I'm so and glad was, that. <laughs> and I have no theory behind that or anything. I just think he looks like David Lynch. He dresses like David Lynch. He's got the yes. same hair. It, it's it's David Lynch. I don't know what that means, but it's him. Um, yeah. I mean, as far as what, what like what they mean in the story, I mean. I don't really remember all too well everything that happens in the return, but I feel like we, it's clear that when people die, somehow they go to the Black Lodge or the Red Lodge or somewhere. Um, and these kinds of like entities that pop up everywhere are from that place. And I would venture to suggest a theory that when you are approaching an entry point, to that place it is kind of like uh, uh it goes both ways i guess you could say um so i think that i think she's seeing these entities because uh they're 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 popping through the door that she's probably gonna, gonna go through at the end yeah. uh, not literally but you get what, you get what I'm saying. yeah i agree and and her first introduction to those two is ultimately um what leads to a pretty emotional outburst from Shirley when she realizes uh, your dad's uh, your dad's Bob, and that leads to some really <laughs> dark places that this movie goes down. Um, but I mean, the relationship that these two have are there are some really, really rough scenes between Laura Palmer and Leland throughout this movie. Mm -hmm. The scenes with them at the dinner table, that's a rough one. The uh and there's there are many more rough ones uh throughout. But this the train. <laughs> yeah, the train. Yeah, that was that's definitely one. But I really <laughs> I really like the 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 way the dinner scene is shot as well. Those scenes are good and I and I like them. Um but mm -hmm. man this initial realization that Laura has uh is a, a definitely a, a, another of the many punches to the gut that I feel like this movie delivers. Um, but the the use of Leland through this movie is what one of the things I thought that the show did was it, it kind of just it shows you uh, Leland both as a sympathetic character and as later on as we move through the show as the as the kind of the push and pull between him and Bob. They're it the, the line is a lot harder to find in Firewalk with me in terms of mm -hmm. the when it whether it's Leland or whether it's Bob. There's maybe only a few moments 
where it really feels like Leland shines through and the rest of it feels a lot more like Bob than it does Leland. So your thoughts on the way that his character and Bob was overall portrayed. The portrayal is powerful, but I honestly, I don't really quite understand the lore. I think like with Bob, because like when Cooper gets taken over by his double at the end of the uh, Twin Peaks, and he's like smashing his head on the mirror. He sees Bob in the mirror. Right. But I thought Bob was like kind of like Leland's like shadow self in a way, like kind of thing, or like negative double or whatever. Um, but then Cooper's negative double is like an actual double. Right. So uh, like you just what 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 are your thoughts on that? Like like No, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, it's confusing. Well, I feel like what the, <laughs> what the two Coopers were were like doppelgangers, right? That, that's what the return yeah. really tries to show. To me, what the return kind of clarifies in this sense when that, you know, that genius episode eight is that mm-hmm. Bob is just almost an entire spirit of its own and almost a minion, quote unquote, for Judy, whatever. Not going to go down all that yeah. stuff, but an entity of evil who just kind of body hops. As he right. as he's gone through history and all that stuff, my interpretation of Bob's quote unquote motivation through this movie is he's trying to um, perhaps uh, uh, possess Laura. That's kind of what I felt like they were going down. And what the ring does to me when she puts on the ring is that Bob can't really infest her, or, or uh, if, if you get what I'm saying, I almost yeah, felt like yeah. that was what the ring was showing. So to me, Bob is just almost a spirit that ghost that pops through maybe like doppelganger cooper and bob like just kind of like like at a handshake agreement that's kind of what i took was like <laughs> yeah. they were just like hey i'm gonna tag along on this one but i don't really feel like bob is quote unquote inside of cooper he's just kind of like along for the ride if that makes sense mm-hmm. at all but mm-hmm. what bob kind of is in firewalk with me is just a, a force of evil at the time of watching this it's really the the pinnacle of evil what the return kind of goes down is really that's Judy, but Bob is this force of evil hopping through different bodies. And what I kind of perceived is his complete, you know, fascination almost of war was this was something he was potentially trying to uh, possess, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think that I think you're I think you're right about all of that. I think the difference between Leland and Cooper is that Leland's dark side or whatever you want to call it, his his bad self is it's a it's a psychological split it's not a physical split like cooper's negative self is like a a different uh, maybe like a different incarnation of him like an earlier life or something and um with with leland it's it's all happening now and i I, so i think that's where like what you were talking about the 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 delicate conflict within him is Mm -hmm. uh you know it's it's on it's balanced on a razor's edge because um he's he's contained these two polar opposite um, forces that in someone like Cooper literally have to (laughs) separate into two different bodies in order to like uh, remain stable, (laughs) which Leland is clearly not, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but it, but it does interestingly lead to like, and, and in, in a challenging way, some very like delicate moments with, with Leland and, Laura like there are just a yes. few examples of like moments where a, a, a good Leland shines through a Leland that is a loving father that really loves in the in a healthy way and correct way 
his daughter. And I think that's part of what makes the the, the reveal of him as the killer for, for the Twin Peaks show so, so just tantalizing and, and, and um, uh, tantalizing is the wrong word, but right. <laughs> like his grief is like when you first realize he's the killer, you think, oh, his grief was fake. He was just trying to like put it on, you know, like right. he didn't want to get caught. But it's more complicated than that. The grief is real and and he is also guilty. And I mean, that's kind of like the whole, well, not the whole point, but a really big part of the Twin Peaks um, thesis, I guess, or, or whatever, like the, 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 the one of the main like uh, turning points of the story emotionally is uh, the the conflict of a, a guilty person who has harmed someone that they love, um, which is a pretty deep, yeah, deep point to make. And I don't really know what the point is about it. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of like this is a thing that happens and it sucks, as a, or at yeah. least in Fire Walk with me, that's that's kind of. The, conclusion <laughs> no i agree with you and i really do feel like we do get to see some of those vulnerable moments of leland shine through um the moment where he after the dinner confrontation he goes back up and kind of has a somewhat of an apology but just not exactly but you're able to see that vulnerable leland shine through and then one of the, another scene that i just almost love for the chaos is that scene of Laura and Leland like driving and then the one-armed guy <laughs> pulls around he's yelling at him there's all this noise all this chaos and all that stuff and then like Leland like drives away or whatever and he's like yelling at all the workers and stuff and he's like are you okay and you're really kind of able to see like some of that that split fear and 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 also that concern and I think it's one of those scenes that does show the push and pull that Leland has throughout the film so I definitely agree with you on that reading and that scene in particular I love for the chaos as well yeah dude, that scene is hilarious <laughs> honestly it almost broke my experience with fire walk with me because i was like this is okay this is absurd like i lost all like <laughs> like serious tension in that scene it was like oh no like <laughs> he just he's lost me here but uh now that i can i can feel the threat as well underneath yeah no i agree with you uh we gotta talk about this scene because this one comes about midway through the movie here and it's a so I think one of the most iconic, perhaps, scenes of Firewalk With Me, and that's the pink room scene, where mm. Laura and uh, uh, Donna kind of had this, like, bit of a rivalry here throughout this scene, and there and it, it's just this dive into, like, the absolute underbelly of of mm. Twin Peaks. The music, it, I think it's one of the, of Andrew Badalamenti's, like, best pieces, like, in general, through, like, the whole... Uh, all of Twin Peaks, like this song is yeah. so good. It's yeah. so like horrifying almost in the way it goes with the scene. And it feels so different than anything we get in as um, music wise throughout the whole movie. It's kind of this low murmur throughout. But when it goes to this scene, it's it boom. It just it like completely changes the tone of the whole of the whole movie in a way. And it's just this yeah. deeper dive into just seediness in this this dark place that laura's gone down to and seeing how it uh how donna is trying to play that part but can't and the just the complete turmoil that the scene kind of spirals into it's one of the most uh emotionally just powerful scenes almost of the whole movie in a way and just the complete 
like without any ease, it just drops right into this scene. Yeah, the the strobe lighting is really effective. The mm -hmm. the the grossness of the the male companions is just kind of like reveled in. It, yeah. I mean, David Lynch is not afraid to get his hands dirty. Uh, no. That is like <laughs> anyone who's seen his movies knows this. Yeah. And this is the dirty, the one of the dirtiest scenes in the movie in the Twin Peaks story, like you're saying, like yeah. um, like for the for the whole thing. And um, the the song is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, the the band, <laughs> even in this scene, there are funny moments, like the bit, like the one, like I think it's the bass player with like a cowboy hat, like yeah. <laughs> he just looks a little bit, just the tiniest bit out of place, and it's. It just you can't help but chuckle even when it's yeah. uh so dark like this and something you said earlier about um the the blue velvet shot with with the ants underneath um there's a similar kind of like uh very close-up detailed shot of the floor of um the bar with you know cigarette butts and yeah. trash and it's like pools of some fluids whatever you know. yeah, <laughs> we don't want, really want to know what they are but um, I mean, the, the the way I love this is just a personal thing. Like I love when directors go like on the the deep, deep like super close ups of just kind of like random details. I think that like it it uh helps you uh get into a scene so so effectively. But we're like wide shots. They just keep they keep you at a distance. It's there's um like uh when, you know when you're in a room. You're, you're, yes, you're looking at the wide view, but what you're really looking at is all the little details. And uh, yeah. so I don't know. That's just like as a director, no, I, I, I love that choice that he made here. And uh, I think it's part of what makes the scene so effective. But there are so many, so many moments. And we get to see here, um, what's her name? R Ronette Pulaski, right? Yep. Yep. Ronette. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, this is the connection that the, they couldn't <laughs> they couldn't find. Yeah, because exactly. it was yeah, it was in in the underbelly, as you put it, the the underground. The, yeah, the, it's it's almost like they have literally gone underground into like the underworld. It's yeah. like it's like hell. They've descended into hell. Yeah, and that's where Laura Palmer is living, and that's where Donna is trying to meet her. She's trying to meet her where she's living. Yeah, and she can't because she's not strong enough. But that's. I don't know why I'm whispering. <laughs> That's what Cooper is there for. Because, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I'm just rambling. But yeah, no, no, I no. agree. It's, it's a powerful scene. Powerful. Scene. Absolutely. And very yeah, long I... too. Very yes. like uh, an extended. Like we really are sitting in there. Like if you weren't invested before this scene, you will be. You will be sucked in. And oh yeah. Yeah. We're we're in the world now. Yeah, I completely agree, and especially about Lynch letting you just sit in the dis the grossness the disgust the like you said it, it you don't even really know how we even got here like all of a sudden we just jump and we're in this complete different room like i've never seen this room in the in the show like where are we at right now it just feels like like you said like we've just dove like straight into hell it's red everywhere like the just the lighting and everything and how it's everything's flashing and it just it's like throwing you off and the way let's just has you stay here it's it's like just pushing you it's like you got it's like for like let's just taking your head and turning and you've just got to watch this and you're just forced to sit there and watch this and i love how lynch does that and how he just makes you sit in these really just this 
uncomfortable moments and seeing Donna try and attempt to connect with Laura in a way or try and meet her there. Like you said, that's what Cooper is going to have to do later. Um, like I said, this is one of the things about the recast I like because I don't really think I would buy it if uh, the actress from the television show was going down this route and the scene afterwards where they're on the couch and they're just like almost sitting there accepting the fact that these two will never really be able to fully connect with one another or Donna will just never really understand Laura is a scene that actually really hits home and maybe wouldn't have worked to as great effect as it does here if we had gotten that same actress. No offense to her. It's I just this this recast just works better in that sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, think about it now. You know what this scene, this scene reminds me of most is the like the basement scene in Pulp Fiction. It's like red. I mean, the, besides like the red lighting, it's just yeah. like this totally seedy, like primal, gross display at the center of like a, a larger story that's you know sometimes brightly lit sometimes you know a little uh, uh comedic uh, very comedic i mean whole fiction is a comedy but um like it, it just kind of like this a, one scene like this in a movie can really cement the the uh, you can give it everything real real danger a real sense of danger it's mm -hmm. uh, i think important just for like an enga engagement with any story um you know, I mean, I'm I'm, th I'm just thinking like of people arguing against like putting a scene like this in the movie, you know, or putting a scene like that in Pulp Fiction. It's like, I I don't know. I think it's there. There's would be something lost without it, and it's no, more than just it's more than just some kind of like vulgar or like profane display. I think. Uh, yeah, no, I completely agree, and it is a, a tough watch in a way. And it, the movie itself is full of, of scenes like this that are just uncomfortable to watch and, and sit through. But that is, in a way, the power of the movie. And there's a meaning behind it that, like, very similar, like you said, the comparison to Pulp Fiction. And this is stuff that you can find throughout Lynch's filmography, just in the scene, like, in Blue Velvet, when Kyle MacLachlan's got to get inside uh, uh, the car, right? And we're taken to this whole different part of this town that we've never mm -hmm. really understood or the... Uh, the uh, the rape scene as well in Blue Velvet, very similar yep. as well. And different in, in its style, but at the same time, it's part of Lynch's style to have you just sit and kind of, you're just forced to watch the uh, uncomfortableness of this scene, but ultimately it does serve to prove a, a larger point in the story, for sure. I hope so, because <laughs> otherwise he's wasting our time. <laughs> no, yeah, it, and story-wise, I guess it maybe doesn't have to be this long, but for what it serves to Lynch's point in the emotional impact, and that's ultimately what I think is more important to Lynch than the actual story, that is really yeah. what I think this scene serves to more. And while you know you can dive into the plot and all that stuff, and we've done that a little bit on the show, but ultimately everything comes down to in this movie to to how you're left feeling when all is said and done. And I feel like that is one of the why this scene is so pivotal. And it's that emotional burn you get of seeing Donna and Laura kind of try and like sort all this stuff out and then sort it out on the couch later. It that's really what this scene is meant to is meant to show. It really isn't about like a certain plot point or anything other than introducing uh, Ronette and finding that connection. But other than that, the scene really doesn't serve much of an other point than than what we get here. 
yeah, I agree. It's all it's all about how it leaves you feeling, and I think it, it needs to be very long for that to to really take effect because you have to let your walls down. Like right. at a certain point in the scene, your walls are coming down, you know, <laughs> or else you're turning it off. It's like it, you can kind of you can you know you can steal your your fists and whiten your knuckles for a few minutes of this, and then eventually you just kind of have to like relax into it, and then you're you're you start to meet Laura like Donna is trying to. And while you can't, you know, fully get there like Donna can't, like how powerful is that to have the audience being put in a character's shoes? Mm -hmm. Donna, so like, so viscerally, it's, it's, it's really impressive stuff. Yeah, it is. And move going to another point here, a character that we haven't discussed yet is Bobby. And the dynamic that he and Laura have in this show or in the movie isn't really that pivotal, I would say, but it does lead to a scene of that does kind of feel a little bit different than the rest of the movie. But it's that scene where Bobby shoots um, Mike or whatever and uh, over the bag of cocaine, where I really feel like this scene is really meant to demonstrate to the audience, at least, is how Laura is kind of just has almost lost all connection to uh the i don't know if the real world is the right term but just her completely like i mean i think she's probably like what coked out of her mind or whatever right in the in the scene <laughs> she's but, a little tipsy she's a little tipsy, <laughs> little tipsy but her just laughing at, as bobby's trying to cover this guy up with dirt and just the complete mm. lack of caring is almost this cold moment in a way to for you to see really how laura has almost accepted her fate in a way does that make all any sense Absolutely, man. She's she's calloused herself against her own death, and in doing so, she's calloused herself against death as a concept. It doesn't it doesn't affect her, and it and the contrast with Bobby is really powerful, and I think informed very much by Twin Peaks, the sh the show, because mm -hmm. he's he's such an arrogant, like you know, like confident, swaggering guy, and, and you know, comedically so throughout all of that show and much of this movie and this is really one of the few scenes before the return where we see him really take something seriously and really panic and lose yeah. his cool and like just you know face disaster uh, essentially yeah. um which you know and and he crumbles he is not as strong uh, i'm gonna put in some kind of air quotes because yeah, yeah. you know like maybe the kind of callousness that laura's found in herself isn't strength exactly but it's i think in another sense maybe it's like the strength that she needs in her extreme yeah. circumstance um and it is a kind of strength that bobby doesn't have and the, the contrast in this scene is, is uh, really well executed no yeah i agree with you it's one of the few scenes that we actually get of bobby not being this completely overly Oh, oh, just complete exaggeration. This kind of comedic character, almost, <laughs> in a way. Um, but I, yeah. and it does. I think the larger point of the scene is to show, like you said, that that almost detachment that Laura has now, you know, forced herself to uh, to put herself through, almost in a way, after all that she's gone through, and what we're gonna see, you know, uh, with uh, Bob kind of assaulting her on the bed. That was another rough one to watch as well. Uh, oh, yeah, that is a lot. Not of, a, this is not an easy film. No, it's not. It's not. And I, I do want to get viewers just heed my words. Go in with caution. Um, but yeah, there are many rough scenes throughout the movie. And because of that, it, it, it you understand 
why Laura kind of has almost this split personality in a way, which not literally, but like she she is having these weird like ins and outs of like, you know, just like overly emotional. And then there's these moments where she's just like almost detached from everything that's happening right in front of her. And it kind of brings us towards the, you know, kind of, I guess, the final wrap up 30 minutes or so of the movie here where she's, oh, it's just almost like there, it's uh, like this acceptance of there's nothing that she can do to prevent, almost like, almost like Christ, like going to the cross in a way, which I think is definitely yeah. something that Lynch is kind of pointing to in a way with the, the angel imagery that we get later on. It is something that Lynch is dark, not very subtly, but you know, he's pointing, he's kind of pointing you down that road. Um, but I, I think from this moment on, it's like I said, rough watch, really well done though. From the moment uh, she, she gets on the bike with James to where we finally meet her in the red room. Uh, that pro- we'll, we'll kind of break this down scene by scene, but that's it, it's overall, it's a, it's a really tough one to sit through, but I mean, really well done. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, let's get into it. Where do we even yeah. start? <laughs> the, with the we'll, getting on the bike or what? I think we got under a minute left. So we'll stop it and then we'll come back and we'll start with the bike scene. All right, cool. Okay. Yeah, I guess we'll start off with the bike scene. I I, I teased a little bit earlier on in the episode. I'll I'll let you I'll let you start this one, but that one of the a scene that we are actually seeing later in Twin Peaks: The Return, and I didn't really. I I'd assume that was probably a scene from Firewalk with me, because of the. I'm not. I I didn't think David Lynch was de-aging the actors or anything like that, but uh, <laughs> I thought a, a, a great scene and a great encapsulation of Laura and James's dynamic that we've seen is very distraught throughout the movie. Yeah, and like you're saying, like the we don't see much of James, and I think it's just because she's so she's so distant from him, and, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the 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 main tension of this scene is he's he doesn't understand why she is distancing herself. She knows why she's distancing herself, but she can't really say it because like she, the the way she knows it's not it's not like normal knowledge, you know, it's not like oh like I know what I had for breakfast this morning. It's <laughs> so. <laughs> Like she's gonna seem crazy if she if she tells him what like what, how she's feeling, and I mean that's that's the the tragedy of the scene also is that she like she cannot really express herself, and she's kind of struggling too, and the, the dialogue is so great, and James is trying to understand her and understandably cannot. Yeah. Um, because she, really she's not making any sense, and then. I mean that line. I every time I start tearing up every time it happens, like yeah. legitimately. Like every time I watch this movie, like that line, and it's so absurd. Like she's screaming, it's ridiculous. It's like you know, it's it's soap opera. It's everything that was, uh, you know, it's it's like the crying in the in the pilot. It's it's yeah. so out there, and it just and it's still it's still hits the uh the right note, um, but I mean. Yeah, I don't know. No, like, I what do you think I about that line, the delivery, man? It's crazy. Man. Something else. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Shirley does such a fantastic job. I can't, I can't criticize this performance. I, I, it's, it's incredible to me. It really is. Like this movie, just whether it's Lynch's drafting, which I'm probably leaning more towards, 
but she really is able to just let out this guttural, you know, that line is leaves such a sting. I'm with you there. I'm just, it's an emotional one to watch. Um, definitely was brimming up watching. I mean, it's, it's a really just emotional scene and the it's, the way it's almost like a mini story, the way that they're the way they go through this bike ride, how she's flipping them off, then she's slapping them, then she's hugging them. It's just such a chaotic scene in its own right. And the one of the things I just like about this performance is the way that she's looking at James is almost like he's just this infant. And she's this, you know, very mature lady who just knows something, knows something big, knows something, you know, epic that like nobody else knows you know what I mean and just that look that she gives him when she's in that like quote-unquote calloused mode as as him as just this little child is is almost tough to watch in a way just knowing that 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 the callousness that she has put herself through is it's a it's a very rough scene to watch but I mean so well done so well acted and now I'm with you that line is just oh I mean it's one of the pinnacles i think of the movie in a way in terms of like what lynch is able to pull out of you it's uh it really is good but uh yeah and um, the swelling of the score i think just seals yeah. the deal like that this is where bad elementary really shines uh for the i mean, I mean she shines throughout but yeah. in a big way like for the first time since the pink room and uh wow i mean like that, uh, there are a few moments in this sprawling, you know, how many, a uh, hundred hour, you know, right. epic that is Twin Peaks that kind of like reverberate throughout the whole thing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And like that line said with the swelling of the music, that is one of those to me. Like every time I hear those notes in that, that theme throughout the whole show, I think back to this moment, like that is the defining moment, I think for, for Laura Palmer's character and yeah. the the other defining moment comes very shortly afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that theme is so good. From the first time we heard it in the pilot and then seeing in a way what it's become now, just how the vision of Laura Palmer from the pilot to what we learn about her more watching this movie, the way that vision of her changes where she's looked at in the pilot is almost this revered, character mystery surrounding her but everybody kind of seems to love her in a way but to what we see of her in real life and how she's kind of almost this manipulative emotionally like uh abusing person in a way the way that she's treating James <laughs> and Donna just this completely different person almost than what is shown in the pilot and how that thing just almost feels different listening to it in this scene uh, I'm with you there all the way. And getting to this, uh, speaking of the pink room, we jump back to that music, bark back to that seediness with, uh, I mean, we've already said before, lots of rough scenes to watch here. And this is uh, just so much chaos going on here um, in the in these particular two scenes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the this is one scene that just like doesn't even really feel real like yeah. when you're watching it. And it's like, um, the emotion has been built so well, woven in so carefully, and it, it crescendos here, and and the, and then I, I mean, 
I don't know. I like I get so distracted by the scene that follows it immediately that like I I it's hard to even yeah. like latch on to anything in this scene. Oh, but yeah, basically, it's it's kind of just like a sh- pretty straightforward, brutal killing. Yeah, yeah, it really. Which is, like, I mean, that's what Twin Beaks is about. It's a it's a murder mystery. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is and the murder. I mean- yeah, it, it's so weird because, it, especially for people who have been going through the show, I mean, we never see the killing. You know what I mean? I mean, it's always just yeah. kind of this almost mysticized or this mythological thing almost that happened in the past and we never really know about it. We do, And it, the disconnect that I think the audience has going through those first two seasons and never really knowing about what came before, it's hard to even imagine. And now to see it, you know, brutal, raw happening right in front of you, no filter whatsoever it really is a rough watch and and the the impact of it is is really well done i mean the what lynch is going for here i think he completely succeeds in it's just up to you know the audience whether or not they they like this interpretation of or or what lynch is going for here it it may not be for everybody but i think what lynch does here is, is is really well handled but it doesn't always stick out to me. What what I always leaves me like with, with question marks over my head when it comes to firewalk with me is what the heck goes on in the red room? What's going on here, Patrick? You know, <laughs> maybe half a dozen times or ever. What's going on here? You, you give me your thoughts on this. All right. Well, <laughs> I think from the moment we see the plastic being revealed from being pulled back from Laura's face, yep. which I I mean this is the time that the plastic gets pulled back from her face it's not in the pilot i don't care what anyone says that's that's a it's it's okay i I mean i don't really know what i mean by this but this is the real one okay this is the moment where it counts and i think from then to the end of this movie it's a perfect sequence it's my favorite scene that lynch has ever done and it's the basically that like the uh, everything that is twin peaks is in this scene um it's like the and the, the the so to me the central the core of twin peaks is the relationship between laura palmer and agent cooper and yeah it, it, it's it's like a the, this this line in seven uh or the, you know the scene when morgan freeman's talking to brad pitt about like the, the role of a detective and how it's not to like save anybody or catch any killers it's just to, like to bear witness or he says something like that yeah yeah and to me that is the essence of uh laura and cooper's relationship is mm-hmm. they, they never meet you know on on earth in this plane or whatever it is in the in the mythos i don't understand any of it so right. don't take my word for it but they never meet there, but they do meet in the red room in this scene. And Laura doesn't know who this guy is, but she knows that he's there to bear witness to her. And he is the one character that can bear witness to her in the way that she needs to be seen. He can see her in the way she needs to be seen. Yeah, Donna couldn't do it. James couldn't do it. Her, her parents, come on. Like, are you kidding? <laughs> uh <laughs> and and it's and it's cooper that does it and it's it's really weird thing for i mean it's a very lynchian thing oh no i said lynchian ah oh, i hate myself it's it's a very lynch <laughs> and i mean 
like you said, like it is a little uh like on the nose with the angel, you know, this guardian right. angel imagery, like the 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 figure that you cannot see that sees you, right? Or the or that is there right. with you in your darkest or whatever and sees you through it in some you know, I mean, she still died, but you know, in in like a mm. in another sense, she is she's okay. Yeah, and and that's one of the things that I struggle with with the return, which I've only seen once. So, no, like, I thought you've seen it more than once. We've only seen it once. No, I've only seen it once. I need to see it more than once. But, <laughs> but it's one of the it's one of my problems with the return is like the like uh, Cooper does like this scene. I feel like it puts a rest like to laura's memory the the story is like completed in this scene and in the return it's like he's trying to like save her still it's like he's trying to like dredge it back up but he's already saved her in the way that matters right like like everyone dies you know like that's like and it's sad that she was murdered it's sad that she was so young but like I, I mean, I, I don't think that there's like a, a world where, I mean, I guess there is literally in this story, a world where she grows old, but like, I, I just don't yeah. see it as like, it's not the same Laura. I mean, this is the end of Laura's story and it's yeah. a happy ending. Like it's bittersweet, but it's like, yeah, it, it, she got what she needed and Cooper was there to give it to her. And uh, I mean, I think the return kind of like, in its weird circular way re like solidifies and like puts sets in stone the fact that it doesn't matter what Cooper does or what dimensions he goes to what time he travels right. to uh, Laura's story is ultimately the same and this is the kind of like the the apotheosis or not an apotheosis but like the it's the um what's the word i'm looking for it's like the the catharsis right for all of her pain is in this scene and it always makes me like tear up just it's just yeah. a little bit sometimes it's like really like bawling sometimes it's just a tear but it's <laughs> it's never nothing right yeah. um so I, anyway i mean i think this is like one of the most incredible scenes lynch has ever done i if not the best it's definitely my favorite um yeah yeah oh man well i i really like all that you said there and i get what you're saying about the uh the end of the return there's still like so many unknowns to me when it comes to everything that's done in those last couple episodes that i still like even after four viewings i feel like i need to go back and watch but um <laughs> But what is done here, I, I really like your interpretation of this because I was struggling with all the with what everything Lynch was trying to was trying to get at here. But I I was kind of taking away that kind of similar to what you were saying, which is that like Laura has not really had anybody to even just be with her in this moment. I mean, her mother's an emotional train wreck, like in the movie, and then in the return. What the heck's going on over there? Um, but I really do like just that image of, and it's on the uh, backdrop or whatever for the uh, letterbox page, but it's that image of Cooper with his hand on her shoulder looking down on her and on Shirley's face, it's just like this expression of acceptance. And that is, in a way, the bittersweet ending of Twin Peaks. And it almost feels like the ending of the whole thing, but there's like, 
hundreds of hours left <laughs> this entire story. But it's so weird to me, the timeline in which Lynch is really, not, not the timeline of the story, but the timeline of the emotional journey that Lynch is kind of going for here, where mm -hmm. really it kind of feels like this in a way could be the end of, of Twin Peaks and still feels that way almost with the return, right? I don't think Lynch is really trying to go back and retcon this, but he's got a couple more things he's trying to say, I feel like, yeah. with, with the return. And uh, I get perhaps maybe your hesitation towards that. Uh, I really do like this scene. I don't know if it's my favorite Lynch scene, maybe just because I haven't seen it quite as many times as you have. And I'm, this, this is one I definitely will have to go back to many more times as well. Even though, which is so weird, because even though, like, when you and I talked about one of the roughest movies to sit through, I think that we'd done on the show, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, where we were like, right. I yeah. don't know if I'm <laughs> ever watching this movie again. Um, this is a different, this is a different case for me, though, because there's so much more in this movie. Weirdly rewatchable <laughs> for yeah, such a no, horrible movie. Weirdly rewatchable, but I was like, because on first viewing, I was like, good Lord, that was so much. Like, emotionally, I was just like sapped. Like, I was like, good Lord. The ending was like, I mean, was so emotional and, and hit me so hard. And then I'm like returning to it a second time. And I'm like, I'll do it again. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll go through this a few more times because there's so much to explore here with everything that Lynch is trying to get out of here trying to explore and it really is well done it, it really is and i do like this scene and that just that image like i said earlier cooper the hand on the shoulder that really does just solidify the ending of this movie for me and and why i think this is such a good film yeah and, and i mean there are definitely like a lot of really incredible david lynch films and they all have his specific touch but the, i think the reason why this one is my favorite is or scenes sorry excuse me i think this is the reason why like this one is my favorite and it is my is my favorite of his films as well yeah. but um besides the point uh besides the point like besides it's besides the point like oh, I, oh, a, yeah. a lot of the uh, like, a, like a lot of the 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 reason that uh, so many of his scenes have like a power is that there's there's like a there's like a confusion aspect to it you know it's like mm -hmm. there there's there's a shroud of like you know you're not exactly sure what's going on but there is an emotion there that you can't quite place and that's kind of what makes a lot of his scenes powerful but for me at least i feel like this scene is like kind of strips that all away mm -hmm. like there you know there's all the weird like red room stuff that kind of like precursors you know the the right. real meat of the scene and that's just kind of like to me at least you know i mean it all i'm sure has meaning or whatever but to me at least it's just kind of like a smoke screen it's like okay yeah this is the what the red room you expect and then there's something we don't usually ever see in the red room which is an extremely right. clear message and i think that's why it's like uh for me like the 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 heart of like the twin peaks story yeah um but i mean <laughs> i could be totally wrong about them <laughs> I mean, well, it, that's just it's just my interpretation so <laughs> right well that's what i love about lynch is you could watch the movie so many and this was any of his projects you could have a completely different interpretation of what everything meant to you and be just as bright and i think that's what mm -hmm. lynch wants i think that's what you know, listening to interviews of him, that's what he's looking to give his audience. And that's one of the things I love about The Return is there was like, at one point, you know this, Patrick, I was like, gonna, I was going to sit down and I was going to analyze everything and I was going to figure it out. I was going to, you, you remember this, I was going to put it yeah. together <laughs> and everything was going to be solved. And I came up with this reading and then it was like, I don't really know if that's it. 
And I was, it's there's, and then when I rewatched the show, I've seen it a couple times since then, and I'm kind of just cool sitting back and letting it all wash over me and just experiencing it. And I know that there's a, a like a four hour like video essay out there of, on the return where it's like, this is it explained. And, and I was like, I don't want to watch that. I don't want to watch something that like could potentially ruin the mystery of it for me. You can have these kind of like brief, like off the dome interpretations of it. If somebody out there has got like the actual key, I don't know if I want to hear it, but I just <laughs> like, I just like hearing the, the different readings that everybody can have with these projects or, or of these films and television shows that he's made. And that's what I like about The Return. And I, I think that's another thing I love about uh, Firewalk With Me is really the story doesn't isn't really anything that leaves anything up to interpretation. Laura dies. She's in the Red Room. That's it. There's With The Return, man, I don't even know. Like Cooper goes back in time. He gets Laura. And then he's trying to rewrite the past. And then he's trapped. And Judy's like in the, the 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 picture and all that stuff, and it goes to some crazy places, and and that's a part of like why I keep going back to the return is just analyzing like what Lynch is going for, and I'm definitely gonna at some point sit down and just try and figure out what it even is on the surface because I still don't even know if I got all that yet, which is crazy. But with Firewalk with me, what leaves it up to your interpretation is is Laura this, you know this uh like this symbol in a way, like almost this Christ metaphor that that Lynch kind of like subtly not or not so subtly puts in there and, and what all what all are we supposed to read from her and I think that's all the different emotional or emotional interpretations that you can get out of this movie that may be different than just looking at it from a story perspective and that's why I like Lynch so much is his movies leave you with such a just a long-lasting effect whether it's this uh, Blue Velvet I mean when I watched Blue Velvet the first time and it ended I like sat back. I, I just watched. I, don't, I normally when the movie's over, I turn it off and I'm gonna go get some water or something like that. Like that's that's what I'm normally doing. But when Blue Velvet ended, I didn't go to my phone. I didn't go. I didn't turn the TV off. I just sat there, like pretty much jaw agape as the credits rolled down. And I've had that experience with so many other Lynch films. Like no other director besides like maybe Fincher at at the end of Seven or Tarantino, a couple of his films as well. But Lynch does it with just about every stinking film where it's just it's over and the emotional experience is what's the rewarding part. Yeah. Yeah. It it's really has it has like kind of like a, a transmogrifying effect on like your spirit, like how you like how your where your mind is at. And I feel that like even like halfway through Fire Walk with me, like every time. I watch this movie. It takes me into a place. You know, I, I notice the world in a different way. And I mean, that's like, all, yeah. what more can you ask for in like any kind of art? Yeah, I agree with you. And I just love the way, like all those little subtle details that Lynch puts into his filmmaking that make me just look at the world a little bit different. Like the power lines, like now I'm obsessed with power lines. Like anytime I'm driving by power lines, I'm looking at them. I'm thinking David Lynch. I'm thinking that electricity stuff from the return. And some of that's in here as well. And I and when mm. I re went back and watched this, I'm like, that's a, like a, that's one of my favorite like imagery now, just because of the way that Lynch shoots them and so forth. It, it's so long lasting. I mean, I feel like we've kind of already summarized it, but Patrick, do you recommend uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me? <laughs> I mean, it's not for everybody. I mean, yeah. Like, do I recommend it? I mean, do I love it? Yes. I, so I, I love it so much. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's been in my top ten for a good long while now yeah uh but 
would I recommend it? I mean, if you're down for the ride, like if you're up for yeah. it, then yeah, absolutely. But uh, it's not for everybody. I, I yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sim similar note for me as well. I love this movie. I don't know if I put it quite at the the tier you have, I, but I gotta go back and watch it a couple more times. I think I really do, and I think it's gonna be a rewarding experience uh, when I end up doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the power that I that Lynch puts into this film here, like I said, raw, hard hitting, and uh, definitely brought a tear to my eye a couple times. At some of these scenes here that are, really do hit hard. It isn't for everybody. Like you said, Patrick, there are scenes in here that are just rough. And, you know, Lynch has been criticized for that at times on how rough some of his, some of his scenes are in these movies. I mean, Blue Velvet's got a really rough run. Uh, this one does as well. I mean, he's not afraid to go there for sure. And I mean, it's it may not be your cup of tea. I don't even think every Twin Peaks fan is going to like this one because I think some Twin Peaks fans are just really attached to the Americana and that kind of that that surface level enjoyment you get out of those first two seasons, Lame. Which, which I'm, a, but I'm, all here, I'm all here fans. for the coffee. <laughs> I'm all here for the donuts and the, and the jokes and all that stuff. Cause I do enjoy that. But there's also those moments where you're, you're uncovering something that's more, uh, there, there's something deeper in Twin Peaks. Like we've, we've been talking about a bunch of this episode, the what's, uh, what's underlying, you know, underneath what's underneath and by walk with me is what's underneath. And I also feel like a similar thing with the return as well, where it's going to go even deeper and you're going to go further down the rabbit hole. And it may be, it may not be your version of Twin Peaks and it may not be for you. But I think if you're looking for something even more out of those first two seasons, Firewalk with me and the return is it. And Firewalk with me is one of the most raw explorations of what I think Lynch views Twin Peaks as. I don't really know about Mark Frost because Mark Frost didn't, didn't even write this uh, movie. So I don't really know what his reading of, of Twin Peaks is, but we definitely get it here with the uh, Firewalk with me on what Lynch's version of Twin Peaks is. And it's one that I'm definitely going to return to uh, many more times. And it's why I think Twin Peaks just as a series, you know, first two seasons, Firewalk with me and then the return is just one of the best collections out there. Even though season two has like its, its flaws and its missteps. I thought season two went out on a high note with its last episode, which I did like. Oh, yeah. I thought that that last episode about rivaled the pilot in terms of just how crazy that stuff got. Um, and then the return, I mean, I've already said it before. It's one of my favorite thing. It's my favorite thing put the film. And I, and I really do enjoy going back and watching that show many more times. And I'm happy that I'm going to get to do that at some point again with Firewalk with me. Uh, Boom! We just went. We just Patrick. I feel like we just went through an experience together. Just, just discussing <laughs> this movie. But um, you're right about that. You're yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, there's no world in which you were wrong. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely up to everybody's interpretation. Um, one more thing, Patrick. Since we're wrapping things up here, we're at the end of 2022. Um, any standouts for you? Um, this year, any? I, I, I think I'll probably end up doing a top ten movies at some point. Um, I don't know what all you got to this year, but were there any standouts to you uh, in the year of 2022 that you might like to mention to, to wrapping things up this year? Oh, man, I don't even know, like, what was this year and what was last year? Like, The Northman was last year, right? Is this year? <laughs> it was this year? Okay, well, The Northman, there you go. Yeah. Um, that was a standout. Um, I thought Barbarian was pretty good. Yes. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot. I'm not a big Top Gun fan, so I... I, I enjoyed maverick but not like i didn't think it, was, it didn't blow me away but i mean i know it's up for best picture so i might have to might have to revisit it yeah 
How crazy is that? <laughs> doubtful. <laughs> yeah, I was. I mean, yeah. If it wins, I'll be shocked. If it wins, I'll be shocked. No, I, I can it. see it getting a nomination. Yeah, I don't think it'll win, but I could see it getting a nomination. I'm here for it because I enjoy Top Gun Maverick. But like, just because of the entertainment, I'm not saying that movie's like the Northman, right? But like, yeah, yeah. there's a level of enjoyment out of that movie that that I was kind of missing, particularly when you look at like what dominates blockbusters nowadays i felt like top gun maverick had a little bit more to it that that was a little more enjoyable than like did i tell you about thor love and thunder i mean that movie was whoo that was yeah so i bad. mean you were asking me to mention like the like my my favorites of the year so i didn't even think of what thor, are some love least thunder, favorites but... what are some least favorites um the war uh you watched love, it you watched it thunder yes i watched it did you really oh my gosh yes, I didn't even in the theaters it in the oh, theaters it was awful, i know it? it was so bad i hadn't seen a marvel movie in so long and i was taken to the theater against my will i was tied up <laughs> blindfolded put in the back of a van um and yes yeah, so the clockwork orange style my eyes oh. were peeled back to watch the world and thunder and um it wasn't great dude it was so bad i couldn't believe it like i i just like I know we recently I've just been lukewarm pretty much on Marvel. And then yeah. with Thunder was like the tilt. Where now I'm like, man, I think it's done. <laughs> I was like, and then I was and then She Hulk on something, man. I'm just done. I just can't even I'm so detached from it now. And I, I can't even believe I'm still going to it. It's just so rough now. Like I'm holding on, yeah. like I'm still holding on to like the Iron Man days and the Avengers, mm. where I was like, that's still fun. Like Iron Man is like in that Top Gun Maverick area of like it was enjoyable. And I'm like, I'm holding on, I'm holding on to that. And Winter Soldier yeah. was a fun, you know, was a fun action film with some good scenes and stuff. And I'm I'm holding on to that too. And Infinity <laughs> was pretty good too. But just as post-endgame, man, it's just hadn't been for me. But anyway, I'll I'll just always turn on a David Lynch film nowadays. You know, I, I don't think I'm popping in a I'm not popping in internals anytime soon. Did you watch that one? No, no, oh, no, dude. Yeah, I've missed a lot of them. <laughs> Stay back from that one because that one is like offensive. I'm like, I'm not gonna say it's offensive, <laughs> but like, I'm not gonna say that. But it's really, really tested me, really tested me because that was last year, and I was kind of like, I was starting like, hey, I wasn't really liking Black Widow or Shang Chi. What's going on here? And then I watched the turtles. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> it just was so bad. Oh my gosh. Anyway, yeah. um. Patrick, thank you so much for joining me. This was awesome. I really enjoyed talking about Twin Peaks with you. At some point, we're going to have to commit to like the six hour long podcast and talk about the return. Um, All right. A, a story for another time. But I really enjoyed talking about the uh, the pretty much the pilot of Twin Peaks and talking about Firewalk with me with you. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on. And we're going to have to do it again. Yeah, thanks, man. It was really great. And uh, I'm definitely here for that return. Yeah. episode i i really need to rewatch it because there's no way there's no way i got even close to 10 percent of mm. that show on a, on a first watch so i'm definitely missing a lot of the twin peaks lore there but yeah. we shall rectify this shall yeah we? what was crazy me another thing i put together with the return was you remember the tree with the the flesh yes bulb yes that's the same and he make that sound that's the same thing as the short dude when he goes the 
And I was like, that's the thing. That's the thing. That's the arm. And yeah. that's what I was like, oh my gosh, I put it all together. But anyway, uh, we're definitely going to do that at some point. So Patrick, thank you once again for joining me. And uh, still wrapping up 2022. Coming up, we'll do Glass Onion Review. Uh, I think that comes out tomorrow. And then uh, a bunch of other stuff as well. So anyway, thank you. That was Twin Peaks Firewalk with me and review for Twin Peaks The Pilot. And uh, see you next time. What's up, everybody? Thank you for listening to that episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Sorry for the scratchy audio, perhaps, on my part, but wasn't able to connect my mic to the computer that we had to record with on Zoom. Normally, I record on a Chromebook, but you can't record Zoom calls on there, so I had to switch over to my mom's uh, Apple computer, which does not have an input for my microphone, so I wasn't able to use it for that recording. Nevertheless, uh, I'm really proud of that episode. I hope that you guys enjoyed it uh, at the time in which this episode is going to be released. We recorded it on Friday, but it'll be out uh, the day after Christmas. So I just wanted to reach out and say I hope everybody had a fantastic Christmas and uh, just a, a great weekend overall. I really appreciate you guys listening to that episode. Like I said, anytime we get to have Patrick on, it's always a pleasure. And I really enjoyed that conversation. I think it's one of my favorite episodes that I've done with him. So hope that you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. I was happy to do something a little bit more outside the box than perhaps the usual talk, you know, superhero stuff and all that stuff that we normally kind of discuss on the show that I feel like almost weighs it down at times. Talking about something that that was outside the box, I thought really elevated the show. And I hope that you guys enjoyed it uh, as much as as I've already said. So anyway, Wanted to come back on and thank you guys for listening. Hope that you guys enjoyed the episode. Sorry for the scratchy audio and hope you guys had a great weekend and a Merry Christmas. So thank you guys for listening and I'll catch you next time.